Hey, you can take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. And I want to welcome those of you that are over in the venue. We're, we're glad that you're, you're with us. And um, while you're turning there, let me talk just for a moment about something that's become important to us as a church family. It's kind of our rhythm around here that this time of year we collect uh, backpacks and we put them, uh, stuff them full of all of the stuff that children need to have a, uh, a chance to really do well in school, pencils and paper and protractors and rulers and all those kinds of things. And um, as I grew up, I always had pencils and stuff. I, I, I always had all that stuff. I grew up in a home where we had the, the money to afford those things. But there's a lot of children in our community who they're not growing up like I grew up, like most of you have grown up, and they won't have anything, and school's about ready to start. And so we partner with the Gospel Mission, we partner with the Vine House and some churches on the west side, and we say, look, we wanna make sure that the children in our community have the tools, the equipment that they need to uh, get a good education. And so uh, this year we're hoping that we, as a church family, would collect over 12 hundred of these backpacks and as soon as we're, we're done here you can go out to our reach wall and we have cards out there one's for high school one's for junior high we have one for elementary age and it has all of the different things that you need to purchase to put in there and then there's also a card where you can leave a little message for whoever gets that backpack and I want you to know over the years that we've done this we've got incredible stories how the Lord has used a simple backpack to touch someone's life. In fact, next week, Lord willing, you're going to hear from a teacher from our own church who got some backpacks, handed them out in her classrooms. We put a gospel of John in every one of them and uh, how the Lord began to work in her classroom. And so I hope that all of you over and above your regular giving would go out, take your children with you and explain to them that there are kids in our city who won't have a backpack. My kids will all get one. Probably most of your children will get one. But it's just not okay that there would be kids in our community who wouldn't. And so please, take advantage of it. Take your kids out. And, and next week and the week after that, let's just fill this stage um, with, with, um, with backpacks, and then we'll, we'll, we'll give, them a, give them away, okay? Well, it was about uh, 2,000 years ago that the disciples came to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And Jesus did. He taught them to, to pray. He, he gave these men a, a model of prayer or a pattern of, of how to pray. Today, we call that the, the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said to his disciples, when you pray, you pray like this, and it's on the front of your program. It's in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 6. It'll be on the jumbotrons. Jesus said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now for the next seven weeks, Lord willing, we're, we're going to look at this pattern of prayer that, that Jesus gave his disciples and us. And I want you to know it's going to be good. And for some of you, I believe it's going to be life-changing. 
You see, I know that probably most of you in here have heard of the Lord's Prayer, or you've even said the Lord's Prayer. I'll bet there's a huge percentage of you in here that even have the Lord's Prayer memorized. But I believe if God doesn't come back and we can get through these next seven weeks, I'll, I'll tell you, it's going to revolutionize your life as we, we take a look at each of these little statements. Today we're going to look at just that very first phrase, our Father, which art in heaven. Now that um, simple phrase was one of the most radical things that Jesus Christ ever said. In fact, it was scandalous. Now, we don't think it's that radical. We don't think of it as scandalous because we refer to God the Father all the time. But in biblical days, you were taught, these disciples would have been taught, that you don't even dare mention the name of Jesus. You don't even say his name. And so they come to Jesus and they say, hey, you know, Lord, teach us to pray. And the first thing Jesus does is says, okay, here's how you pray. Our Father, which art in heaven. Beloved, I'm not sure the disciples heard the rest of the prayer. I, I think they were just put back on their heels. What did he just say? Uh, uh, Father? I think when he was done, they got together and were, that was the phrase that they couldn't get out of their minds. The fact that God would say when you pray, you address God as our Father, our Father in heaven. You see, that word Father is a very intimate word. Jesus is saying that God isn't some angry tyrant up in heaven, you know, ready to bust your chops. He's your father. Your father that is in heaven. Jesus isn't saying that God is some apathetic creator who simply wound up the world and just let it go. No, no. He's your father. Your father who's in heaven. Jesus is saying that God isn't some impersonal force, but Jesus is saying that God is your Father. He's your Father who, who is in heaven. And I want you to know that's good news, isn't it? Because I can relate to a Father. You can relate to a Father. I can relate to a, 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 a person. I, I can get to know a Father. I can't get to know uh, a tyrant. I can't get to know a, uh, an impersonal force. But I can get to know a father. I can have a relationship with a father. I can connect with a person. Now I want to share with you three things about these six words, our father which art in heaven. Okay, the, these are things that I think are going to bring great comfort to all of us. And, and for some of you, I, I believe they're going to help you see God in a whole new, fresh way. But let me be straight up with you. As I was studying this past week, I thought, you know, how, how bizarre is it that the created one 
would somehow try to describe the Creator. <laughs> and to be really frank with you, what I've got on paper seems a little bit idiotic. It just seems really inadequate. And so my prayer, one of my prayers has been as, as words leave my mouth, that before they hit your ears, that God's Holy Spirit would take them and do something supernatural with them. Because I really do want you to leave with a whole new thought of who your Father in heaven really is. And God, I think, laid on my heart three things that he wanted you to know. Number one, God wants you to call him Father. In other words, he, he wants a relationship with you. God wants you to call him Father. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father. Beloved, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, a number of really wonderful things happen. Let me give you a few of them. Number one, your sins were totally forgiven. The things that had separated you from your Father in heaven were forgiven. All the things that had messed up your relationship with God, that had separated you from God, were forgiven at the very moment you received Jesus Christ into your life. Your name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Now, most of you in here, or a lot of you in here, don't even know what the Lamb's Book of Life is. And I don't have time to tell you about it. I just want you to know that's one place you want to see your name. It's in the Lamb's Book of Life, and at the very moment you gave your life to Christ, your name was written in that book. Your eternal destiny was forever changed at the moment you received Jesus Christ. You see, when you take your last breath, Christian, your next breath is going to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. You became a new creation at the moment you received Christ. The Bible says all things passed away, and behold, all things became new. And here's the one that I want to camp on. At the moment you asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, God established a brand new relationship with you. A relationship not built on, on fear, but one that was built on family. God says, I want you to call me your father. I want you to see me as your father. Your father that's, that's in heaven. That word Abba here in Romans chapter 8 is an informal Aramaic term that simply means father. It means daddy. It means papa. Jesus said, look, guys, when you pray, when you talk with God, I want you to realize that you're talking with your daddy. You're talking with your papa. Is it any wonder that these men probably went, what? What did he say? Do 
Jesus said this in John chapter 12. He said, I don't speak on my own authority. The Father who sent me has commanded me what to say and how to say it. Beloved, it was the Father who told the Son, Son, I want you to share this concept that I'm their Father in heaven. It was the Father who told the Son to tell us that when we communicate, we're communicating with the Father, the Father in heaven. Now, I know for some of you, the idea that you and God would have an intimate relationship is beyond your comprehension. Because your earthly dad, your earthly father, wasn't, wasn't a very good one. Maybe he wasn't even around. In fact, for many people, the term father is a negative term. It brings up all kinds of bad memories. In fact, for some of you, when you came in here and you saw that our father, you had a visceral reaction. Because, wow, the image of a father in your life is just not, not good. For some people, when they hear the term father, they think of disappointment. Some people think of resentment or anger or maybe even abuse. Some fathers, you know, they, 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 make, um, they make their homes like hell on earth, don't they? I've been doing this here at this church for over 25 years. I was a youth pastor for about 20, I know. I've talked with lots of teenagers over the years. So some people, when they think of father, they think, man, if God's like my father, no thanks. No thanks. In fact, that term is a, is, is a, is a huge barrier for some people. They come in here and they hear us talking about the father and we're praying in the father's name and we sing songs about the father. And you know what? I, I don't want anything to do with your God. That term father is a huge barrier. Let, let me give you a couple of examples. Let's say you grew up with an unreasonable father. You're going to tend to think that God's unreasonable. It's only natural that you would feel that way. You're going to think that God makes unreasonable demands on your life. He wants to make your life miserable. He, he's no fun. You know, he's the ultimate cosmic killjoy, right? It's only natural that you would think that way. If you grew up with an unreliable father, you're going to tend to think that God's unreliable. It's only natural that you would think like that. You're going to think that you can't depend on God because you couldn't depend on your earthly father. And as a result of that, you know what you do? You worry. Because you don't think God can meet your needs. Your earthly father didn't do it. He was unreliable. And so you really don't believe your heavenly father can, and so you end up worrying because you think you've got to do it all. You've got to pull it all off, you see. If you grew up with an unconcerned father, you're going to think that God's unconcerned. Yes, you believe in God. You just don't think he gets involved in your personal life because he's too busy or whatever. He's got other things he's, he's got to do. 
Yes, God may watch over your life, but he doesn't get involved personally in your life. If you grew up with a, an unpleasable father, and I think this is the big one, you're, you're going to tend to think that God's unpleasable, un unpleasable. It's only natural that you think that way. If you grew up in a home where you got C's on your report card, but your earthly father said you need to get B's, and if you got B's, you had to get A's, and not only A's, but straight A's, you're going to think, man, I, I, I just that's the way my heavenly father is. I can't, I, I just can't please him. I'm never quite good enough. I don't ever just, you know, measure up. You felt like you could never get your parents' approval, so it's no wonder you have a hard time connecting with God because you tend to transfer all that onto him and you think that God's unpleasing, you know, unpleasable. This past week, I... I read that they estimate that about 20 to 25 million children here in the United States of America live in a home without a father. That's about one in four families. What kind of image do you think those children are getting of God? What do you think those children think of the term father? They say we're heading towards one in three households. Children will grow up without fathers there. Let me tell you something. When the boys asked, Jesus teaches to pray. And he said, here's how I want you to pray. Here's how I want you to see God. You call him our father. He's your father. Immediately the demons had their marching orders. Immediately every earthly father had a target on his back. Let's mess up the earthly fathers then. Because if we can mess up the earthly father, wow, win. And is it any wonder that you just look around, just our culture, and you see just how the whole father thing is just, oh, Here's my point. Your understanding of God will affect every era of your life because when you get a false you know, conception about God, whether it be from the movies or religion or your parents or the schoolyard or whatever, and let me tell you how the church has given you a, 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 a particular viewpoint of, of the Father. He's angry. Your father in heaven's angry, man, and he's just waiting for you. He's just, he's like on the balls of his feet, just ready to just bust your chops. Boy, don't you want to go pray with him? Wouldn't that be a fun relationship to have? This image in your mind of an angry God. I don't know where these misconceptions come from, but if you've got these misconceptions of God, you'll never be all that God intended you to be, and more importantly, you'll never have the relationship that God longs to have with you. He's the one who said, look, I want you to see me as your father. Your father that's in heaven. 
God longs to have a relationship with you. It's been my prayer that somehow, for some of you, that you'd begin to see God the Father for who he really is. That somehow you might trade in all your misconceptions about God for the truth. Because some of you, you've been living out your Christian faith with lies based upon maybe the images you've seen on television of dads, music, your friends, church. And I want you to see God for who he really is. In fact, let me give you a few characteristics of, of God. Your father in heaven is, is loving. He's loving. And by the way, dads, future dads, grandpas, maybe you fumble the first go around. But if you're a dad in here, just, just listen to these because these are the examples that we're to be. Your father in heaven's loving. Your father in heaven is compassionate. Your father in heaven is gentle. Your father in heaven is, is kind. Your father in heaven is giving. Your father in heaven is merciful. Your father in heaven is encouraging. Your father in heaven is forgiving. Your father in heaven is caring. Psalms 103 says, the Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers but, that we are but dust. 1 Peter chapter 5 says, give all your worries and your cares to, to God. Why? Because God cares about you. He cares about those things in your life that are going on, he, 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 he longs for you to come to him and give him whatever it is that's going on in your life. Why? Because he's a tyrant? Because he's angry? No. He wants you to come and give all your cares and worries to him because he cares deeply about you. Cares about what's happening in your life. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, so don't worry about these things, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all that you need. He knows what you need. Our brother James penned these words. He says, whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give us new birth by giving us his true word, and we, out of all of creation, became his prized possession. My wife was sitting right down here last night, and you know, you know what our prized possession is? Our children. If my house is on fire, and I only got time to run in and save you know, one thing, I'm not going to grab my, my TV. I'm not going to grab a lamp. I'm not going to grab my couch. I'm not going to grab some photographs. I'm not going to grab whatever's in the refrigerator. I, if I only got time to save one thing, I'm going for my prized possession. I'm going to go down and rescue my kids. And God says, 
You're my prized possession. You. You're my kids. I'm your father. You see, when God came, he came and he died for human beings. He hung on that cross for human beings. He didn't die for seals. He didn't die for goats. He didn't die on a cross for whales. He didn't die on a cross for snails or for beetles or for eagles. He created all those things. But you were made in the very image of God. You. Seals were not made in the image of God. Goats were not made in the image of God, but you are. And he came and he hung on a cross for you. You are his prized possession. You. And he longs for you to call him father. Your father that is in heaven. Look, your earthly father may have been a, a jerk, okay? <laughs> but your heavenly father isn't. And for some of you, you've got to get this truth into your mind because you've been operating on a false set of, you know, data about who the Father is. And it's the truth that's going to set you free. It's the truth about who God is that's going to deepen your relationship with him. He's intimately acquainted with every single detail of your life. The Bible says he knows how many hairs are on your head. Your heavenly Father is never too busy for him. For you, he, he, he never says, can, can you hold that thought? Can you wait just a minute? Can I put you on hold? Not now. And guess what? I do that to my children. If I'm talking with my wife and my children come up, I will tell them, wait a moment. I'm talking with my wife here. Or if I'm on the phone having a conversation and my children come, hold on a second. I'm, I'm on the phone. Your heavenly father will never do that. You can come to him anytime you want, and he's always there, ready to listen. He'll never put you on hold. He'll never say, hey, you know, I got this big thing going on in the Middle East for crying out loud. I don't have time for you. When I sort all that mess out, then I'll have some time. No, no, no. There's nothing big for God. The Bible says that he threw the stars into the sky, and then he named them all. You think there's something big for God? You think he's all nervous about what's happening in the Middle East? He's not. Now you are, but God isn't. There's nothing so big that God goes, oh man, time out, I don't have time to talk with you right now. No, no. Your heavenly Father loves to meet your needs. You can come to him a million times a day and say, God, I need your help. God, I need strength to overcome this temptation. I need help again not to be afraid. I need help again, you know, to, for, for you to calm my, my anger. God, I need your help again to know what direction I need to go in. You can come to him as many times as you want, and he loves to meet your needs. <laughs> Dads, you like meeting the needs of your kids? Absolutely. I like, I like even going above that. I like to not only take care of the needs of my kids, I like to take care of their wants. Well, your heavenly father's no different. He loves to meet your needs. And if all of us in this room were honest, you know what? Not only has he met your needs, but 
Look around your closet when you get home. He's also met a lot of your wants, hasn't he? You got a lot of things probably in your home or your apartment or in your garage or in your storage bin or the three storage bins that you have because your house just couldn't hold all your stuff because God met your needs and he met a lot of your wants, didn't he? Why? Why does God do that? Because he cares. Your father in heaven cares. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, you parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Well, of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? Boy, that's kind of, that kind of chops us off at the knees, doesn't it, dads? Look, dads, you have a sinful nature. And yet you would never jack up your kids. Well, how about me, God says. I don't have a sinful nature. I'm perfect. Wow, I will take care of my children because you do it and you are sinful. Your heavenly father cares about your hurt. Some of you had fathers that when you got hurt, the response is basically, hey, tough it up, you know. Buck up. Men don't cry. Power through it. Ignore the pain, right? In other words, they weren't very sympathetic or tender or considerate of your feelings. And a result, as a result, you probably tend to think God's like that, but he's not. God is very sympathetic to your hurts. The Bible says in Psalm 34, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's close to the brokenhearted. It doesn't say the Lord says, buck up! Real men don't cry! Tough it out! No. He's close. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Some of you had a tough week this week. Some of you had your heart broken this week, and God wants you to know that he cares. He's right there. He's your father in heaven, and he cares deeply about your life, all the things that are going on in your life. Now, the second thing that God laid on my heart was this. God wants you to be a part of his family. Obviously, if he wants you to call him father, he wants you to be a part of his, his family. Great little moment, little vignette in the life of Jesus found in Matthew chapter 12. It says this in verse 46. While Jesus was talking to the people, his mother and brother stood outside trying to find a way to talk to him. Somebody told Jesus, Jesus, your mother and brothers are standing outside and they want to talk to you. And Jesus answered, who is my mother? Who are my brothers? Then he pointed to his followers and said, here are my mother and my brothers. My true brothers, my true sisters, my true mother are those who do what my father in heaven wants. Now I want you to know, I just think that's really special. The Bible says that anybody who names the name of Christ is a part of God's family. We're all brothers and sisters in the Lord. I'm your brother. <laughs> really? 
yeah, you got to accept me. And I got to accept some of you. This is the way it goes, you know? (laughs) Now, some of my brothers and sisters are black. Some of my brothers and sisters are white. Some of my brothers and sisters are uh, Laotian. Some of my brothers and sisters are Puerto Rican. Some of my brothers and sisters are Chinese. Some of my brothers and sisters are German. Some of my brothers and sisters are Jewish. Some of my brothers and sisters are very wealthy. Some of my brothers and sisters don't have a lot. And those that don't have a lot, aren't you glad that we sent a team over to, to Africa and we, 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 we built an orphanage over there and raised the money to do that? And aren't you glad we went over there to make sure that some of our brothers and sisters who aren't very wealthy had toilets? Aren't you glad we did that? Beloved, if you've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're part of God's family. And he's our father. He's our father. Now, I want you to understand something here. Jesus wasn't, you know, somehow repudiating his his earthly family here. He was simply emphasizing the supremacy of God's eternal family, spiritual relationships, because they're going to last forever. Forever. I want you to think about this. The God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who placed the stars in the sky and gave each one their name, the God who uses the earth as its footstool, the God who formed you when you were inside your mother's womb, the the God who knows exactly how many days that you're going to live on planet earth, the God who healed the lame and opened the eyes of the blind and caused the deaf to hear and he raised the dead from the ground, the God who has the power over life and death, the God of Noah and the ark, the God of Moses and the Red Sea, the God of Joshua and the walls of Jericho, the God of David and Goliath, the God of Jonah and the big fish, the God who has no beginning and no end, the great I am, the God of all gods, the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the God of all these things and much more invites you to call him daddy, father, papa. God says, Rick, I want you to call me father, which means God wants me to be in his family, a family. Now, I need to take a a moment and explain how this happens, how a person becomes a part of God's family, because there's lots of confusion about this out there. And I think in John chapter 3, we see a a pretty clear picture of how that happens, okay? And we're going to hear from the very lips of Jesus. Verse 1 says that there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee, After dark one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless you are born again, Jesus said, you cannot see the kingdom of God. Amazing to me how some people can mess that up. But people mess that up. There are preachers on TV that mess that up. All kinds of people out there that will mess up a a simple statement like that. And part of that is due to how good Satan is. Satan is uh, the master of deception. Let me tell you how, how good Satan is. 
Satan can put a person in bondage and then make that person think they're free. That's good. Putting somebody into bondage is one thing. But putting somebody into bondage and then making them think they're free, that's good. So you got people running around, bowing the knee. Yes, master. Yes, master, Jim Beam. Yes, master, Jack Daniels. Yes, pornography. Yes to my anger. They're in bondage, and they think they're free. And so I guess it's in any wonder why, you know, people can take this simple statement. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Unless you're born again, you're not going to see the kingdom of God. Well, what do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb to be born again? That's a good question. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. Beloved, when you ask Jesus Christ to come into your life, he does exactly that. Jesus comes into your life, and at that very moment, a brand new relationship starts between you and God. The Bible calls it being born again. You see, by nature, you're not a part of God's family. By nature, you're a part of the human family. You're a part of the human race. The only way you get into God's family is by being born into it by being adopted into it. Listen to what John said in John chapter 1. He says, he, that's Jesus, came into the very world he created. But the world, the people in the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave those people the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Beloved, you're not physically born into God's family. You're spiritually born into God's family. I don't care whether you're a Catholic or you're Protestant or you're Jewish or you're Buddhist or you're a Mormon or you have no religious background at all. No religion will get you into the kingdom of God. No religion will get you into God's family. No religion will get you into heaven. There's not one verse in the Bible that says that a religion will get you into the kingdom. Not one. The Bible says you must be born again. That's how you get into the kingdom of God. Not because you say you're a Baptist, not because you say you go to Big Valley, not because you say you're a Methodist or Episcopalian or whatever it is. Who cares about that? What matters is Jesus Christ and what you've done with Jesus Christ. And when you receive Jesus Christ into your life, at that moment you've been born again. You were already born once physically. But the only way you get into heaven is to be born spiritually. And that happens through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And for some of you, you need to make that decision today. We've had people in our other gatherings that have given their life to Christ. They've invited Jesus into their life and they were born again and they, they made God their father. 
And they were then entered into this incredible thing called the family of God. And that's happened this weekend. And for some of you, I believe God's opening your eyes to that truth right now. Some of you have never given your life to Jesus Christ. You need to do that. So God wants you to call him father. He wants a relationship with you and he wants you to be a part of his family. Now, now this is gonna bring us to number three. And this is the... Everything was great so far, Pastor. Oh, please, oh, this, this is the one. I love the whole father thing. Wow, I love being in the family. That's really great. When he's the father and you're in his family, God expects that you would live by his rules. Oh, no. Oh, no. I like living by my own rules. I don't, I don't want to obey the father. I don't want to do that. Ephesians 6 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Colossians 3 says, children, obey your parents in everything you do, because when you obey your parents, that pleases the Lord. Beloved, God expects children to obey their parents. Let me just, is there a dad out there that doesn't care whether their kids obey them? I don't expect my kids to obey me. Any, anybody? Anybody over in the venue? Well, there's always a loser dad out there somewhere who probably says, no, I don't expect my kids to obey me. There's always one. <laughs> but you know what the reality is? Dad, you expect your children to obey you, don't you? you? You set down some rules for your home depending on their ages and stages of life and all those kinds of things. And you say, you know, I'm your earthly dad. You're in my earthly family. And so here are some things that I want you to kind of do with your life and don't do this and be home at this time or whatever those things are. And every family may have some things that are different. And your expectation is they're going to obey. Now, here's a weird concept. Your heavenly father expects the same thing. Wow, that's unbelievable. You see, he is our father. And we are in his family. And God has said, hey, I got some thoughts. Here are some things I'd like for you to do with your life. Here are some things that I want you to be involved in. Here are some things that I want you to stay away from. Hey, don't, don't do these things. Don't, don't do that. Hey, yeah, these are the things you ought to do. Here's how, to, here's how you need to use your one life. I want you to be involved in a church. I want you to sing and praise my name. I want you to serve me. I want you to bring me gifts. Here are the things. Hey, don't use your tongue in crummy ways. Don't let any unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. You see, the Father has some rules, some guidelines, if you will, on how he wants us to live. And his ex expectation is, is that you're going to follow them. That you're going to live by them. Jesus said in John chapter 10, my sheep listen to my voice. And I know them and they follow me. Look, it's easy for my son to listen to me. Hey, Kate, here's the deal. I need you to go clean up your room. Listening's easy. 
It's when I'm done talking and I say, hey, Kate, I need you to clean up your room, that he gets up and he actually follows what I say. In my humble opinion, obedience is the, is the one great indicator of whether or not you really truly are in God's family. Jesus said in John 14, all who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who does not love me will not, anyone who does not love me will not obey me. And remember, my words aren't my own. What I'm telling you is from the Father. Our brother John said, this is love for God to obey his commandments. And then he says, and his commandments aren't burdensome. And I'm glad he added that. You know why? Because when I lay down some guidelines, some rules for my children, they think they're burdensome. And their immaturity and where they're at in life, oh, I don't need that. Why are you doing that, Dad? I don't. No, no, no. I'm a little older and wiser than they are. I got a few more miles on my odometer of life than they do. And so I lay down these rules for them that I want them to follow. And the reality is, is they're not burdensome. And God says, look, I got some thoughts. And I want you to know they're not burdensome. I know about you. I know about the world. I know how this whole thing works. You may think they're burdensome. You may not like them. Your flesh may rebel against them. But I'm telling you, you live by my commands, and I'll tell you, wow. You won't wake up with a guilty conscience. You won't wake up wondering, you know, if you got some STD. You won't wake up with a child that you don't want from some man that you hardly know. Now your flesh is going to want to do all these things, I know. But the reality is when you choose to obey me, wow, they're not burdensome. You'll have an incredible life, a full life, an abundant life, Jesus said. I want to end with, with this thought, and this has always interested me. The Holy Spirit fills Paul, and Paul writes a letter to a church. He writes a letter to a group of people that, you know, sang all the right songs and probably put some money in the little basket when it went by. They uh, were in a small group, probably in someone's home. And he writes this he says, Look closely at your lives. This was written to church people. Test yourselves to see if you really are living in the faith. You know that Jesus Christ lives in you, don't you? Unless you fail the test. Now, isn't that interesting? You see, God was concerned with the fact that people could come into a place like this and call themselves, you know, I'm a non-denominationalist. I'm a, I'm a Baptist. I'm an Episcopalian. I'm a whatever. And they come and they sing a song or two and they give an offering. And the reality was, was that they're not saved. This was written to church people. And what Paul is saying is, look, 
Look at your lives. Are you living out the rules of the Father? You know you got the Holy Spirit living in you. Look, no one's going to stand before me, okay? But I know too many people who come to church, and you know what? They're living with somebody that's, you know, they're not married to. And it doesn't bother them one bit. Who cares what the Father has to say? My flesh likes it, and so I'm doing it. I know people who claim to know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and they're, you know, flirting and having affairs with somebody that's not their wife, because that's what they want to do. No people who, you know, God says, don't let any unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. But you know what? They cuss like a, like a, uh, doesn't impact them one bit. Let me tell you something. I don't know how you could have the Holy Spirit living inside of you and just live in blatant sin. And I think that's what Paul's trying to say here to church people. If he is truly your father, and if you are truly in his family, Wow. Are you following him? Do you pick and choose? I love what Dr. MacArthur says. He says this. It's not your perfection that proves that you're saved. Because no one's going to do it perfectly. My children don't do it perfectly. I didn't do it perfectly. And I'm not going to do this perfectly. It's not your perfection that proves that you're truly a believer. It's your reaction to your imperfections that proves you're a Christian. In other words, when you do something against the Lord, his commands, his rules, there's a reaction to it. It means the Holy Spirit is alive and well inside you. Your conscience is at work. And Paul says, listen, test yourselves. Look at yourselves closely. Do you have a reaction to your sin? When you do something that you know is wrong, is there a reaction to it? And that reaction then causes you to go and confess or whatever all those things might be? If there's no reaction, folks, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you just love the music. Maybe you like the idea that, hey, my church, we help, we help the poor. I think that Rick guy, he's a good preacher. <laughs> the donuts here are good. The fellowship is nice. You don't have any friends anywhere else. And so you know what? You have good friends here, and I'm glad. You even give some money to the cause. But he's not your father because you're not living by his rules. And so God says through the pen of the Apostle Paul, look closely at yourselves, church family. Test yourselves. Because maybe you think you're saved when in reality you're not. God's really not your father. You're not really in God's family. This is what I want you to do as we end. I want you to slip down to your knees just for a second, okay? If you're physically able, if you can. 
Ah, you can stay in your chairs if you want. I just, I, I just want you to get alone with, with God. I don't want you to worry about your wife. I don't want you to worry about your husband or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your children. I just want to get you alone with God for a moment. Over in the venue, I want you to do the same thing. I'm going to give you a chance just to be with your father. And for some of you, you know, the Holy Spirit was moving in your life and Right now, you need to say, God, I've never given my life to you. I'm not a part of your family. And right now, I receive you into my life. Cleanse me of my sin. I want you to be my father that's in heaven. I want to be a part of your family. And I want you to pray that prayer right now in the quietness of this moment. Some of you need to do that. And for those of you that pray that prayer, the greatest miracle will happen. You'll, you'll go from being a sinner who's going to spend their eternity separated from Jesus Christ to being a saint. For some of you, you know what? You've been coming to church and maybe you thought you were a Christian, but all of a sudden you were confronted with this idea of testing yourselves, examining your life. And you know what? You don't live by God's commands. You don't live by God's rules. It doesn't matter what God says. You're living your life however you want to live it. And the Holy Spirit has revealed to you that maybe you've never given your life to Christ either, and you need to pray that prayer. I know you've been coming to church here. Maybe you've been going to some other church. It's not about a church. It's about Jesus Christ, and you need to invite Jesus into your life right now. For some of you, maybe this is a time where you just thank God that you have a Father in heaven who loves you and cares about you deeply. Maybe for some of you dads, you've been convicted. Maybe you haven't been a very good dad. I was certainly convicted this week thinking about how I've acted at times as a father. And you know, some of you just need to repent of your sin and go to your children. I don't care if your children are 30 or 40 years old and say, you know what, I, was, I heard from the Lord today and you know what, I was confronted with the idea that I wasn't a very good example of what the Heavenly Father is like and would you forgive me? Some of you have young children. Today ought to be a day when you walk out of here and say, you know what, I'm going to try to be a better example of what the Heavenly Father is like. quiet before the Lord. If you prayed just a little bit ago, you invited Jesus Christ in your life. We have a room over here called the altar room. And the pastors and the elders of the church are in there to help you. We've given out some new Bibles to a lot of new people this weekend. God became their father. They became a part of the church family. And we want to talk to you about that. So go into that room. Tell them, say, hey, I prayed today. And let us welcome you into this church family. You're our new brother. You're our new sister in the Lord. And we want to talk to you for a few minutes. Maybe you're here and you just want someone to pray with you that you'd be a better earthly father. You know what? That room is available for you to go into. That we would pray for you. The Bible says that the prayers of a 
of a righteous man availeth much. I don't know what need you have, but look, the preaching's done, the singing's done, it's all done, but God ain't done. And I know God's working in some of your lives and some of you need to take advantage of that altar room and allow uh, the spiritual leaders here to continue to minister to you.